Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director of the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Tatiana Sawyer. She is an author, speaker, visionary accountant, and tax and numbers expert. Over the last 15 plus years, she's worked with entrepreneurs and business owners to help them manage their money, numbers, and taxes and become the boss of their bottom line. Tatiana is also an experienced advisor on tax-related matters of divorce, understanding all potential scenarios around them. And it's such an important topic. Welcome, Tatiana Sawyer. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. It used to be that we thought more about taxes in the divorce scenario when maintenance, which is what we call alimony in New York, was deductible to the payer and taxable to the recipient because obviously that changed the after-tax scenario. But in the last few years, since that is no longer the case, or at least for the time being that's no longer the case, we really haven't thought that much about taxes. But yet there's such an important part about understanding people's future financial planning. So how do you think that taxes should be brought into the divorce conversation? In what ways and what's the impact? Well, actually, I think that taxes should be brought up as a topic really at the very beginning because there's so many important things that really divorcing couples should address. If there are children involved, that's definitely also number one topic that I would um, talk about. But also if there's no children involved, oftentimes especially if there is alimony, in which case there is income on one spouse's side that is supporting the other spouse, there are ways to structure them so that it's more fair. And I think that the way I think about taxes and divorce is very much aligned with what you believe in, which is that divorce should be a more collaborative process and divorce with dignity. And I think that taxes is the number one topic in that conversation at least from my perspective as a, as a tax geek. And the impact of that is really, you know, to start, if there are kids involved, I have a client right now who's getting divorced, there are kids involved. Sometimes you can have a situation where, in this case, they haven't really been legally separated just yet because, let's say, they one spouse moved out in September. There's only five months that it's been since then whoever basically rushes to file the kids sometimes wins if there is no conversation about it and one spouse can get screwed without even knowing it. So I think that that definitely should be the number one topic with when kids are involved. Are you saying, Tatiana, that if people who have gotten recently gotten divorced, now they're going to file separate tax returns for the first time in probably a long time, and the person who files the tax return first, if, if that person claims the children as whatever we're calling that now, but puts their children, gets the tax benefits with regard to the children, then that person, that just wins. And, and that takes priority from the IRS's perspective. Is that what you're saying? Uh, not quite. So they aren't divorced yet. Let's say the only okay. 
moved out in September recently or October. They didn't get the legal separation in place yet, for example. Okay. It's still early, still very recent, okay. right? Yeah. And, and in that case, there's no custodial parent. When there is a custodial parent, when the custody has been even temporarily decided, there's a custodial parent that claims the children. And usually the reason, you know, there's no more deduction for the children, but there are credits related to daycare and other things. And child tax credit that's higher this year, you know, for 2021, for example, um, than it was ever before. So it's very mm-hmm. lucrative credit and can really provide huge support for the parents who are caring for the children. And so if they haven't decided yet, even if there's no uh, temporary custody in place, there's no custodial parent. So sometimes you can have a situation where one parent files uh, without really consulting the other parents, and that's it. And it's really hard to untangle that after the fact. Okay, so this is a situation where they're filing a separate tax return but before there's a settlement agreement in place or a judgment of divorce, and so there's really no determination yet as to who is the quote-unquote custodial parent, who's the parent entitled to take the credit, and that's the situation you're talking about. Correct. Yeah, I, I think it's really important for people to talk about and for those kinds of things to be part of the decision, you know, part of the negotiation, or this is the kind of thing that happens, right, that people are not working collaboratively or cooperatively to get the best tax result possible. Yeah, exactly. And and really, I think that oftentimes one spouse is more educated or knowledgeable about taxes because oftentimes it's one spouse that manages the finances and taxes and deals with all of that, uh, while the other spouse sometimes get, can get in this, into the situation where they are the ones caring for the children but because the other spouse was more was quicker to file, they now didn't get the valuable credit for you know for whatever that that is for caring for the children. Right. So that's that's one thing to be concerned about. What is something else? One thing is sometimes if um, a spouse that's let's say about to pay alimony support to the other spouse, and we're not talking about child support because that's different, but um, specifically alimony uh, spousal support. If that spouse has a business, potentially, you know, now the alimony is not deductible, but potentially there's a way to structure collaboratively a settlement where a specific payment is made from the business, that calculation needs to involve taxes, how that would impact the receiving spouse and things like that, and what to do in cases of the business shutting down or anything like that. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities there that can serve both spouses because the receiving spouse can get more money because the other spouse suddenly can deduct support based on potentially an employment agreement in the other spouse's business. Okay. I think you're going to have to slow that down. So we were talking about thinking about divorce at the very beginning, I mean, thinking about taxes in the very beginning of the divorce process, right? And and you... Mm-hmm. Uh, Tatiana, sorry, divided it up thinking, okay, think about taxes with regard to children and then think about taxes even even if children 
aren't involved. Now, I mean, when you say the children aren't involved, of course, from a tax perspective, you could have children, but they just might be emancipated or no longer a claim. They may be just filing their own tax returns, right? They, they reach a time in life, and they're not relevant for their parents' tax returns anymore. So I think you're talking about a situation where people are Another possibility is to think about the divorce taxes with regard to the divorce early on as if one person has a business. So walk us through exactly how that works because a lot of a lot of people who are listening to this might very well have, and this could be a small business. This doesn't have to be like a gigantic business, right? I think that there are a lot of opportunities when it comes to taxes with small businesses that I think people don't necessarily understand and not necessarily understanding how it works with divorce is certainly something that we should know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I see, I've seen a scenario where one spouse has a successful business and they're really fighting for the amount of alimony maintenance supports to, to pay because they can, it's after tax money. They can't deduct it. So one scenario that essentially I am offering just as an idea because it needs to be structured by an attorney, of, of course, to make sure that you as the receiving spouse don't lose it if the other spouse suddenly decides to, I don't know, stop paying or whatever, because typically alimony is per agreement, whereas per divorce agreement, whereas a payment from a business would have to be a different setup. And so if the spouse that's paying the alimony has a business, sometimes they might be able to pay the other spouse as potentially a consultant. Maybe that person does social media. Maybe that person does advisory, administrative advisory to the business. There has to be a non-tax reduction purpose. So there has to be a legitimate relationship between um, the receiving spouse and the paying spouse's business. But there's an opportunity to potentially deduct those payments, make them taxable to the receiving spouse, but provide enough to cover the tax as well. Does that okay. make sense? Okay, so I think what you're saying is if one spouse owns a business and the other spouse can give valuable service to the business, whatever that might be, it doesn't necessarily have to be going in five days a week and spending all that time together, but consulting services of some kind, and then instead of paying alimony or at least some of it, then maybe there is a way to employ the spouse and the business legally, legitimately, and and take advantage of the deductibility for the higher-paying spouse of the salary. Uh, But that if we do that, then we have to take into account that the recipient spouse will not be able to spend every dollar that he or she is receiving because they'll have to pay taxes. So then we'd have to make sure that in the financial planning that the tax impact of the taxes having to be paid was considered. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that is absolutely correct. Okay. That's a good thing to think about. And, I mean, before we just move on from this idea of the taxability or non-taxability of maintenance, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that alimony or maintenance is still deductible by the payer in on your New York State or, or New York City returns. Is that correct? Um. So... It's not deductible in federal, and that's the really your biggest impact, unless it was um, the agreement, the initial agreement was put into effect before, I believe it was December 2018. So for, the, for federal purposes, it's really a big one because federal tax is the highest tax. In terms of New York State, New York State, I believe, allows spouses 
to claim that as a quote-unquote uh, itemized deduction uh, similar to other things where New York decoupled uh, from the federal. But the impact of that is, you know, from a tax perspective, if you're in a 37% bracket is, uh, versus New York City's 4% and New York State's maximum rate is about 9.6 or whatever, 9.7%. So it's still deductible in New York State, but it's that's not a big deal, <laughs> what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX from 5 to 5.30 every other Wednesday at 1460 a.m., and we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Tatiana Sawyer about tax implications and divorce and making sure that they are the taxes are a part of the divorce conversation. So, Tatiana, what are some tax planning opportunities that can save both parties money? Well, one of them is, as I mentioned, using a business, but it's, it kind of goes deeper than that a little, a little bit. Sometimes, and usually that's the case, one spouse is a higher earner, that's when alimony comes into, into play. And if one spouse is a higher earner, the other spouse is a lower earner, there are ways to reduce the overall, overall tax paid and the benefit by shifting some income, business income to the receiving spouse that, let's, let's presume, has lower income in general. We all know that U.S. taxation has a structured, bracketed tax scenario, so top tax rate is 37%. And if you have a spouse that even after your alimony that you pay from a business would be in the 20% bracket, you're still saving a 17% in tax, plus there are opportunities to shift other preferential items to the spouse to give them more funds, but also to save money for yourself. That's where collaboration is key. Okay, so finding ways to shift income to the to the lower earning spouse because that way the tax bracket will be less and it will be less of a burden on the entire financial unit is I think what you're saying. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's total, the tax in total on both spouses together is less, so more money is kept to be available for each of them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, when we talked a little bit about children and divorce and taxes at the beginning of the show. But, you know, I think that it's one thing that is a very emotional issue for people. And it used to be that it was the exemptions and supposedly come, that's coming back in 2026. But any of the tax credits, being able to name your children on your tax return is often a hotly contested issue even when it's not necessarily worth that much in terms of the, the dollar value. So, Tatiana, sorry, can you help our listeners understand how the tax credit works and who they're valuable for and what difference it makes in 2022? So, really, child tax credits is very lucrative. It has been significantly less for years prior to 2021, and it was doubled basically for 2021 for a few years, it's going to phase out again and get lower back to the original amount. But it's very lucrative because it provides the cash that, that people need caring for the children, especially in certain income brackets. And so what's really key to this is if you have a scenario where one spouse is a high earner, the other spouse is caring for the children, maybe has some income as well, but um, is mostly primarily caring for the children, the high-earning spouse may not be able to even get any of that, may not even be able to get any of the child tax credit, may be phased out due to income limits. 
And that's where really taking the emotion out of it, which I understand it's hard to do, but that's the, the, the goal of a collaborative divorce is to understand that, okay, I can't claim it. I will allow my spouse to claim it because they can get a benefit from it and my children can benefit from it as well. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So thinking about it, I think what you're saying is thinking about it instead of as in a kind of competitive way, but thinking about it as a way to really take advantage of what's available. Again, thinking about it as a unit makes a lot of sense to you as a tax professional. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no question about it. It's, as cliche as it may sound, um, collaborative divorce really works and works for both parties. It really serves um, their divorcing spouses. It serves the children uh, for a number of reasons, including the child tax credit. So what about structuring kids' education payments in 529s? I think there's also a lot of misunderstanding about the tax benefits of of 529s, how much they should be funded, what the maximum contribution is each year and what that really means. And can you help sort that through, Tatiana Sawyer? Yeah, absolutely. I have a sort of my own view of education, but education should be, education discussion should be really a part of the divorce discussion as well. I've had certainly worked with clients who complain that they have to fund 100% of the college education for their kids and it's expensive and certainly is. But I think what's important is, again, bring it to the front of the conversation. Make it a part of the collaborative divorce conversation. The reason is kids will grow up, they will apply to colleges, they will go to school, and it would be great if you could help them pay for it instead of taking out these huge loans with, honestly, really huge interest rates. I don't know if you ever looked at the interest rates from college loans. They're a little crazy, but there are a couple of opportunities besides the 529. Well, 529 is one opportunity, and in New York State, if you can contribute up to $10,000 to a 529 plan per year, you get a little deduction on your tax return. I personally don't see it as a really huge tax benefit because because even if you're on the top tax rate and you contribute, let's say, 10000 for two children, and the top tax rate is 9%, 9.7%, it's $970 in really tax benefits. But you have to part with about 10 grand a year in funds. Um, I actually love a different strategy, which works for both divorcing and non-divorcing couples just as well. But since we're talking about divorcing couples, it's uh, very re- relevant to this conversation. Typically, starting with age of, the age of seven, a child can be working for a parent's business. And there are huge tax benefits to doing that. And a child at seven, and I have a son who's seven, my daughter is almost 10, they can handwrite cards for clients. They can wrap gifts for clients. They can file paperwork, maybe take videos of mom or dad for Instagram or whatever it is, or TikTok. They can perform certain tasks that don't require Department of Labor approval, and this would be different for every state. But it's a really great opportunity to income shift. Again, as we talked about income shifting in the beginning, it's the similar way it works for shifting income to your child. And children who are employed for their parents' Schedule C, which is the sole proprietorship or a single-member LLC, are not paying Social Security and Medicare. 
So on a $12,000 per year per child of salary to your child, you're saving about $6,500 in tax because you're not paying FICA and you're not paying income tax because it's all under the standard deduction for a human being. And so if you the, your parent is at 37% bracket, they can pay kids and that huge amount of money just by shifting income. Again, you would have to have the timesheets and do it legally, but that's a great opportunity. And here's another you know, little point where this makes sense with education. Out of this 12000 that you pay your child, 6000 can go into, for 2021, 2022, can go into a custodial Roth IRA account. I love those more than 529s because for 529s, they're very limited in terms of how the funds can be invested. So the growth, the non-taxable growth is really very limited, whereas a custodial Roth IRA is an amazing tool not only to save for college, but also as a parenting tool. I mean, think about it. At 18, the child takes possession of this IRA, Roth IRA account. They can't take the money out because they'll pay a penalty because they're underage. However, if they pay directly for their tuition, they pay for emergency medical expenses or first-time home buyer, there is no penalty and no tax on those distributions. And so that should wow. be also part of the conversation in divorce. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I just want to remind people that I'm Catherine Miller and that you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WVOX 1460 AM, Westchester County, every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we bring you all the information and thoughtful dialogue like this one that you need to divorce with dignity and with financial sense. And I'm talking today with Tatiana Sawyer about divorce implications and taxes. And Tatiana, if people are interested in learning more about you or some of those really clever techniques that you were just discussing, how can they get in touch with you and learn more? Sure. I think the best way is to, I'm present on all social media, but I definitely have a website. Uh, my firm is Linza, L-I-N-Z-A, advisors.com, or I live on Instagram pretty much. So my name, Tatiana Sawyer, that author is my handle on Instagram. Yeah, and I think we should spell that for people. Absolutely. Please. So my first name is Tatiana, T-A-T-I-A-N-A. Last name, T as in Tom, S as in Sam, O-I-R. Or a little shortcut if you want to connect on my coaching website and business website is talktotatiana.com and then forward to the right, to the right site. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. I think some of these tips are really valuable. And again, you know, thinking about college planning and lots of people, you know, when they're getting divorced, do think about college planning. How old do you think the children should be when you start thinking about it? And of course, you know, you might be thinking, yeah, you know, you're pregnant. It's a good time to start thinking about it. But when does it start getting really urgent? I think um, at the age of 10 is probably, would, would probably be my go-to. But honestly, as soon as you can, I've started my kids in terms of the Roth, custodial Roth planning at the age of one. They can do modeling, photo modeling for your website. So there's definitely an opportunity pretty much at any age. Okay, that's really great. And the Roth IRA, can you use that for expenses besides tuition, like room and board and things like that, that, that you can use the 529 for? Would you recommend a, a kind of joint approach or just take one road with this? So they have to be a required educational um, expense, qualified education expenses. I believe they only include, include the tuition um, because the reason I'm not 100% sure is because there are different credits and different things covering 
um, different items, but it's definitely covering the tuition. The room and board, I don't believe so. I don't think it's considered a qualified education center. Okay, well, that's really good to know. So in our last second, Tatiana Sawyer, what's the first thing people who are divorcing should think about when they think about taxes quickly? Think about working together to create more resources for each other as you go through this process. Awesome. Thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogue. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you.